Okay, Mark 10, 17 through 27. I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. Oh, Father, I do pray that, that today, not only will that reality be there, but that we'll experience that our hearts are bound to you, that we are, as we come to Jesus, and we say, I don't want this life to be my own anymore. I want it to be yours. I want you to take it over, be the king of my life. And as you bind us to yourself, God, I pray that, that we'll just experience a sweet blessing today of knowing what that means more. Maybe our eyes will be opened a little wider to see and experience uh, the reality of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his very name. Amen. The story we'll be reading today in Mark 10 is the story of the rich young man. And this is how it reads. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So I I hope that today, the title of the sermon is an impossible people. And I hope that, that we will see that God is wanting to awaken us to see all that he can do in our lives, things that only he can do in our lives, things that are only possible for God to do. We can do a lot of things, and oftentimes we do. Oftentimes we busy our lives with what we can do, even at church. Right? Like oftentimes we can come and we can be like, like, I love that little, you know, that Nate played on the piano would just draw me in, you know? Like, we can do those things. We can, we can come together, we can give high fives, we can organize community, we can throw block parties, all these things we can do. But God is looking for, for more from his people than we can do. Isn't that amazing? God is asking us to do things we cannot do. I don't know the last time you saw a camel, but they're fairly large. And last time that you fixed a shirt when the button fell off, but needles are fairly small. And this is what God compared, this is what Jesus compares it to. He says, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to be saved. It is like a camel going through an eye of that needle. And I hope today that we will see that God can do those impossible things, 
But I pray for us as a church that we will participate in what he's doing and things that only he can do. That, and, and those things are things like, like that, that we can come together on a Sunday morning and look at each other and go, man, you see, you see the life of these people that God is just touching and changing and healing and, and shaping. Like those aren't things that they could do. Those aren't things that we could even do. Those aren't things that, that Daniel's words can do. Right, that we start sharing in something that only, only God can do. Do you guys want that? Yeah. Right? Are we hungry for that? Like, I want to be a part of something that only God can do. Right? And I want us to be a church that celebrates and desires things that only God can do. It's not that we become better at planning, even though I could use that in my life. Right? But we're, we're people that are literally going, God, we want more of you. We don't want just to, to constantly try to be more of me. Right? And so we start crying out as a people, God, do impossible things in our midst. God, we're wanting you to do impossible things in our midst. Through this story, I'm going to look at two points, and, and those are things that I think separate a possible people from what we'll call an impossible people. Guys, we don't want to be a possible people. We want to be an impossible people. And what separates those two? The first is, what are we motivated by? What we are motivated by will, will distinguish in our lives, in the life of this church, if we're a possible people or if we're an impossible people. I don't know if, if you, like myself, loved the stories of quests when you were growing up. The only Lego sets I had were Robin Hood and King Arthur, right? And that's... <laughs> I just, I love the concept of a quest, and part of that concept was they prized something so much they were willing to, to die for it, right? There's this very romantic idea. But the interesting thing is, is God is also calling us to be courageous of heart, to have what we'll call a hero's heart, and to pursue something because it is of greater worth than anything else. And you get a sense of this in Hebrews 11, when it's talking about faith and people who had faith in God, and it says, I don't have time to tell you in the end of, of the chapter. It says, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel. And get this, these were the people that lived by faith in God, and they did these impossible things. And it says, it says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to release so they could get a better resurrection. They faced jeers, flogging, and some were imprisoned and put in chains. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went around in sheepskin and goatskin, which is not comfortable. The world was not worthy of them. I added the part that wasn't comfortable. The world was not worthy of them, and they wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes. And all these things, right? This is amazing. These are the people who said, God is worth it. Right? He is worth it. And so they set themselves to follow him. And as we, as we come into this story of the, of the rich young man, we think, oh, he's one of those guys. And what makes us think that he's one of those guys is that, 
that he run, it says he runs, up to, runs after Jesus and it says he falls on his knees and he asks him. So this is like, this is pretty impressive. He's making a scene. And so he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus sees past the appearances of this show, right? We could do a lot of cool things with show, right? I mean, you've seen the, the magicians on television. <laughs> you can do a lot of really impressive things with show, but Jesus sees past it and he calls him out in two ways. And the first one is he says, there is no one good except God alone, so why do you call me good? And for most of us, we're like, oh my goodness, did Jesus just say he wasn't God? That's not the case at all. What he's saying is that the man comes up to Jesus, but he is looking past Jesus. Right? So he comes up to Jesus, but he's like, just send me on my quest. Right? I know the reward is out there, and that reward is eternal life, and that's what I want. So just show me what to do, and I'll go do it. But when you come to the greatest ward and you come to Jesus, there's nothing to look past. Right? He says, you call me good, but you don't believe I'm good. Right? You're looking for something else that's better. So, he turns the man away using these words. Right? No one is good but God alone. So it's interesting because the next time the man just says, teacher. <laughs> he got the lesson, but not really. If he knew who was in front of him, who it says in John 6.40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What does he want? He wants eternal life. John 4 says, right, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son will have eternal life. Right, so if he knew that his great reward was in front of him, right, do you think his motivation would change? He didn't think, oh, I'll just get sent on a quest and that will work out for me. Right, so Jesus is revealing his motives, revealing that he's merely using Jesus as an end to get what he wants. The second thing is Jesus says, you know the commandments. He doesn't say to him, eternal life is found in doing the commandments. He just says to the man, he says, you know the commandments. And this is really playing to, in the man, his desire to be a hero. You know the commandments, and the man goes, yes, I do. I've actually kept all of those. But the man is still lacking, and he knows that. He says, I've kept all these commandments, but I still don't have it. He's like, what do I, no, I know, but what do I got to do? Because I know I'm still lacking after I have done all that I can do. And so he realizes the letter of the law, but he doesn't realize the heart of the law, because at the heart of the law, Jesus is asking us to do something that is impossible. He's asking us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is an impossible thing. All along, the man thought that God expected him to do something on his own strength, not realizing that God was asking him to do something impossible. 
So when God calls you to come and follow him, he is not calling you to do something that is possible in your own strength. He's calling you to come and experience something impossible. So for so many of our lives, we're going, God, I've done those things, but I still lack. I've done everything, but I still lack. And I keep coming back and forth. Is there a higher bar I need to jump? Just send me on my way and I'll go do it. And what Jesus does is graciously reveal to him that he has nothing to give God. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Do you get that? In verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then he disassembles his world. He says, yes, you are lacking, but this is the beginning of the true adventure. You have not yet done what is impossible for you to do, and that's what I'm calling you to do. Follow me, value me more than anything, and that's what I'm calling you to do, is what Jesus tells the man. Hudson Taylor, a man who did amazing things as a missionary in China, he says this. He says, many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources and thus attempt very little for God. He says, all spiritual giants have been men weak who did, not, who, who did great things for God because they reckoned his power and presence to be with them. Since the days of the Pentecost, has the whole church ever put aside every other work and waited upon him for 10 days that the Spirit might be manifest? We give too much attention to method and machinery and resources and too little to the source of power. So we give so much to what we can do, what is possible for ourselves to do, and God is saying, oh, there's so much more to do than that. I'm calling you to do impossible things. I'm calling you to participate in impossible things. I'm calling, I'm calling you to participate in the eyes of, of blind being opened. I'm calling you to participate in dead hearts being restored. I'm talking about bigger things than you can do. Do you get that? You are lacking, yes. <laughs> yes, you are lacking. But come follow me. The life of the impossible church will understand this. In John 15, 5, where it says, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. Apart from me, he can do nothing. Do you get this? That God is asking you to do nothing alone. He is saying, as a Christian, I want you to be so tied into me that I'm not sending you on a quest to go do my beckoning and then come back and report to me. Look what I've done on my own strength. But he's saying, I know you're lacking and I'm asking you to do nothing alone. I'm asking you to come and, be, be, uh, come and abide in me because unless you, you dwell in me, you can't do any of those wonderful things. In Zechariah 4.6 it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He says, all these promises, all these wonderful things that, that I'm speaking about and I want you to participate in, he's go, it's not by might, it's not by your power, it's by my spirit I'm going to do these things. Right? And so how often in our experience are we going, 
God, I like these stories. I love the stories of Jonah and Moses and even the apostles. I love those stories. But surely, surely our experience tells us that those things can't happen. And God goes, you're right. You, it can't happen by your strength. It's not by your strength. It's not by your power. If you're, if you're a church that just does that, you won't experience anything cool. Right? Other than what you, can, what you can do. And then when you're done doing it, it will die. He's going, I want, I want you to participate in my life. And then you will do impossible things. Have you come up against the impossible yet? Like the rich young ruler, Jesus looks on us with love. And he allows us to be exposed to the areas of impossibility in our lives. And that exposure will reveal two things in us, maybe more, but according to my notes, there's two things. The first is what motivates us and where does the power come from in our lives? When you come up against impossible things in your life, how do you address those things? What are you motivated by? If you're motivated by your own power, you will stick your, you will put your heels in and you will with your whole might try to hold on (laughs) right? What's your backup plan? And if you're relying upon your own power and that's all you can do, you will get so frustrated and then you'll become bitter at God because he's not holding his end of the deal. (laughs) How long he's going, no, give that to me. Give that to me. So remember, is that at these times of great exposure, like the man, the rich young man experienced, that God is wanting to awaken us to the possibilities of what he and only he can do in our lives. And I, I pray for us as a church that we will be a church that does impossible things because, because we are motivated from seeing Jesus, not looking past him, not saying, what else are you going to call me to? But seeing him and going, Jesus, you are of greatest worth. You, you are our king. You'll call. You'll send us on our quest. But you're going to go with us. You're going to lead us there. And that we see things happen that's not possible. Are you guys excited about that? Yeah. yeah. Amen. So as we've been talking about prayer, I encourage you guys to come to that prayer night and just pray with us about it. Um, and wait with us as we wait upon him and just say, God, send, show us your glory, <laughs> right? And it, it, after a day, you're like, well, I'm still me here, <laughs> right? That we keep waiting upon him and going, God, you are worth it. You are worth it, right? God, you are worth more than anything else. And so I will, I will run after you, but I won't look past you. I'm just going to run after you. And I want to see us as a church doing that. Pray with me. Oh God. God, you are worthy of all praise. God, you're worthy of us just looking stupid because we're raising our hands to sing to you and 
just crying out, whatever it looks like, God, for us just to go, you are worth it and you do things greater than we can imagine. God, I pray that we as a church will come to you in that way. God, not, not just as individuals feeling like we're doing this all by ourselves, but God, this will be a uniting factor for our church. God, that by your spirit, we're crying out to you together, go, going, God, show us your glory. We want, we want to see people come to know you and love you. We want to love you more. God, open wide our eyes just to see how beautiful you are and how worthy of praise you are. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.